<laughs> Welcome to the Silence Podcast. There's, there is actually a album that is one hour and 12 minutes of silence that was released. It's a genuine album. I believe it's on Spotify. I know there was one um, Taylor Swift released like six minutes of silence and it got to like number two in the Canadian charts, didn't it? Uh, no. Yeah, it was something like that. It, it got mistakenly released on iTunes for a bit and it shot up the charts. And it was like two minutes or six minutes of nothing. And people went out and bought. I'm not saying that that didn't happen, but I don't think it was Taylor Swift. It was someone. Yeah. Just just, just, just because doesn't mean just because. Okay, so are we ready? Ready when you are. Not for a year now, but go on. Sleepify. I've got to click this link. Hang on. Sleepify. <laughs> it's the album that is fully of silence. <laughs> Literally an album of An hour of nothing. <laughs> I just want to sneak something in just before Squidgy gets his chance to talk about the games he's been playing again because I know he's going to dominate the rest of the episode. I just wanted to say that uh, shortly before the festive period, I found out that a book had been released, which is called The Game Engine Black Book Doom. Now, it's no secret that I'm a big fan of the original Doom, and it's no secret I'm a big fan of the folks who made it. John Carmack, to me, is an absolute genius, and this book is essentially... A let's look through the source code. It sounds really boring because it's a programmer book, but let's look through the source code and figure out all of the wonderful things and amazing like techniques that John Carmack used to make this game. So what I'm saying is because it's part of game history sort of stuff, I'm going to get a copy of the book and then I am going to going to do my level best once I've read it to try and produce a waffling Taylor's description-y type review of it. This might be on the podcast itself, or it might just be written up as part of a blog post. I'm not sure yet. It depends on how it ends up going, but I will try my best. Okay. Now, you know that you mentioned Doom. Yes. Right. Can I give you a quote from Sir Terry Pratchett about Doom? Of course. Right. Sir Terry Pratchett, obviously the writer of uh, Discworld and Good Omens, commented on Doom, over the centuries, mankind has tried many ways of combating the forces of evil, prayers, fasting, good works, and so on. Up until Doom, no one seemed to have thought about the double-barrel shotgun, eaten-leaden death demon. (laughs) I love that quote. Even Terry Pratchett played Doom. Pretty good, pretty good. But you see, I need to figure out how to get the book, because it's available on Amazon as a paperback, or it's available on Google Books. Now, I've got a Kindle, <laughs> so Google Books ain't going to work, is it? No. Don't they have, didn't they introduce a thing? No, no, I don't think they did, actually. But yes, uh, so yeah, that's my thing I'm going to do in the next couple of months is get this book somehow, and I'm going to uh, yeah write up or talk about a little review of it. So with that being said, and moving on to the, the main portion of the episode... <laughs> <laughs> Squidgy, what have you been playing? A mixture of a number of things. I've been, obviously over the Christmas period, there's lots of game deals and what have you. So I managed to get quite cheaply. I got Sonic Forces, which I haven't played and has thoroughly annoyed me. I got Lego Harry Potter, the complete collection for my X-Bone, because I like a good Lego game. Um, I got Forza Horizon, 
What else did I get? I got Final Fantasy 15 finally downloaded, since I bought that a couple of months ago. So those are the ones that I got. I've played quite a lot of Harry Potter. I played a little bit of Sonic Forces, got annoyed, and then went back to Lego Harry Potter. I haven't touched Final Fantasy 15. I started playing Forza 4 Horizon the other day, and uh, B can back me up on this. He got a very frantic text message off me about Forza 4 because somehow it figured out what my name was. Yep. Basically, because obviously you have to sign into Xbox Live to activate all the online features of Forza Horizon 4, etc. Then it takes the name it finds on your Microsoft account, and uh, if it matches one of the names that it has in its database, it will first call you by your name, first name. Um, yeah, I think you do have the option to tell it to call you a nickname. I've changed it now, but when I first went on it, one of the organisers called me by my name which point I like moved backwards and thought Bernit were fire. Then the onboard AI slash GPS called me by my actual name, which again I thought Bernit were fire, to which point I text B very frantically, how the hell does it know my name? Then I found out how you can actually change it. So I put it to Taylor instead of my actual name because that's less freaky. But the uh, the frantic test message, Whoa, what's going on? Why does it know my name? Help. And then I got told that in the previous game it did the same thing. I just never noticed. Yeah, I believe it did it in 3 as well. Um, I think 3 was the best one to do it. It might have done it in 2, but I don't think so. Just because, obviously, that was Xbox 360 and not... I think there was an Xbox One version, but I don't think... What, Forza 2? Yeah, but I I believe 3 and... um, Obviously, 4 does, and I believe 3 did as well. Yeah, so that freaked me the hell out, uh, I'll be honest. But I've been playing that. I've been dipping in and out of Diablo 3 because in January, I think it's two years ago now, they did an event called the um, Darkening of Tristram, where you went to one of the first areas, which is the remains of Tristram from the first game, and there's a blue portal. But whenever you go through the blue portal, the game gets all pixelated, and your characters don't run or move like they do in Diablo 3. It's kind of like you've been transported back to the first Diablo game, and you've got to go through a labyrinth, which makes it look like the um, all the areas from Diablo 1 killing iconic bosses as you go down and you end up fighting Diablo at the end in like floor 16 and then you go through a portal to an unholy temple and when you do it if you do it with a level 1 character you get the butcher as a pet which I'm I'm quite fond of you also get a gem for your head slot where you can what it'll do is you, you slightly lose control temporarily but you send flames in all directions a classic iconic Diablo move and you can level that gem up. It's one of the unique gems. But you can also, if you do it right and you complete it, you get the original ending from the first Diablo game, and it's pixelated glory, which is really quite fun to watch. It freaked me out a couple of years ago when I first saw it because I didn't know what was happening. I almost skipped it. And then, obviously, having the Switch version, I uh, I thought, I'll do that. I'll watch that little ending and when I in, run around all pixelated, so I've got all month to enjoy that. Flipping in and out of that, I recently decided to go back on Fallout New Vegas because it's a game that I got so far through and then gave up because it got really difficult because I was playing it wrong. Fall into the classic trap of playing games when the first come out, playing it wrong, leaving them alone. A few years later, I go back in it and I can actually complete it because I've got more of an idea what I'm doing. Um, so I've, I've got that recently. That's sort of like interspersed between when I've got the time setting up, <laughs> insert drum roll. Oh, 
Setting up the Resident Evil 2 board game. Ooh. Yeah. Board game. Which I've played a lot of. It's still a game. And I've played a lot with Ike, because he's he's got the board game as well. Yesterday as well, at the time of recording, Jay was down and me and Ike were playing a couple of scenarios and then we stuck him on the Fall Survivor, which was one of the extra bits that I, I got with it. And that was absolutely ridiculous and that was only a few of them. If I would have opened every single expansion pack, Jay and Ike would have been in serious trouble. Considering one of the two characters you can play is the only two characters you get is Tofu, who's only got a knife, and Hunk, who's got every weapon imaginable, but no knife, essentially. And it was a case of Jay played as Hunk, and there was a lot of dodging going on. Ike played as Tofu, and he's just dodge personified, because originally in the game... He was a character to test the um, hitbox collision and like dodging mechanics and stuff. And then she put it as a, a false survivor as an extra character along with Hunk. But there was that. We broke out Scenario B, which was quite cool because I've only done like the Scenario A. There's, there's plenty in the, in the board game. I've got everything for it essentially twice. And the box it comes in, whenever I move it from room to room, it sounds like I'm dragging a body. <laughs> kind of apt. I mean... Show you not? No, I'm not. I've shown people, you know, there are boxes in there. There's no bodies. Ah. Although, keep it open, you might go missing, you know. (laughs) I've had absolute immense pleasure um, not only playing it, but teasing the Arcade Attack boys with it, Dylan especially. Yep. With little pictures and little bits and bobs and trying to sort stuff out and semi-explaining it, and it's been a hell of a lot of fun. I've got a table for it, and it takes up the entire table sometimes and it's a it's a bit of a pain yeah i'd explain the size of the table as sort of like a almost like an amateur poker dealer's table so that's how big the game is it's pretty huge crikey yeah yeah you'll have to come around b and have a play because it's really cool <laughs> Uh, I remember when you first got it, Squidge, you took a picture of the, the box that it had that it was all in, and then you laid basically everything out on the, along the floor and took another photograph. And we and you sent that off to um, to one of the Arcade Attack dudes, and you got a, a message back that was, Hell, Squidgy, that looks like Resident Evil porn. And I'm not sure he was wrong. The first reaction was, Damn, Squidge, and that's, that's Resi porn, that is, I'm telling you. <laughs> but that turned up, right? 10 minutes before I had to set off for work. <laughs> As Lulu would say, I spent five minutes squeeing and then I got a lot of it out, took a picture, put the box upstairs and then when I got home from work that night, I spent a good hour looking at everything, just looking. <laughs> but it's one of those where everything fit in the box and now everything doesn't fit in the box. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it definitely came out like this. Now how do I get it all back? in there <laughs> i'm kind of okay with the rules now it's one of those good brogman can attest to this it's one of those once you play it a few times you get used to it mm. it's all a bit much when you first play it but since i've done that i've had to get boxes for stuff i've got a dice tower because trying to roll the dice yourself you either shoot yourself in the foot or you get headshots every time which is it's a bit one-sided to be honest <laughs> i've had to get deck boxes and i'm gonna have to get more deck boxes just to store it all there's rule books, scenario sheets, there's all sorts. It's just currently it's got no place of residence. It's still in the box. Right. It's still in the box it came in. No residence yeah. for Resident Evil. <laughs> yeah, no place of residence for Resident Evil, but I've had to drag that between rooms. Right. And it does sound like I'm dragging a body every time I do it. Nice. 
Yeah, so that's that's fun. But one of the things I wasn't expecting was um, when I got it, I thought I'll get a second copy right, and stick it on a shelf. And when you pre-ordered the game, you got the B-Files free um, as part of it. And then you've got unique 3D models as part of the stretch goals, which kept going until it finished. So you had game A, game B, you had... Um, right. But you got like a retro pack, which is all the cards are based off the... Um, the images from the actual Resident Evil 2 game. You got uh, Fourth Survivor, which is Hunk and Tofu, which includes extreme battle mode. You get Extended Horror, which includes like Brad as a playable character, um, Zombie Brad, Marvin as a playable character, Zombie Marvin, a few alternate costumes. You could play Sherry on that as well. Extra like different 3D models for zombies. I put in extra for like 3D doors, 3D typewriters. A 3D item box, extra zombies, malformation of G, all three separate sets of that, extra monsters, an extra set of dice, because when I've got a feeling when Chief comes around, <laughs> he's going to end up flinging them around the room. But I also got um, like the alligator pack. So there's a specific scenario where you can fight the alligator. I've got a pack where you, you fight the moth. It's called um, Death From Above, so you get like 3D models and extra cards in the game for the crows, whenever you encounter them in the scenarios. There's the moth from, you know, when you get in the labs near the end, the giant moth. You can fight that. Just all sorts of extra stuff. And the the money I spent on it, I could have paid the mortgage for a month. But (laughs) I, I did wait almost a year and a half for it. So when it turned up, for that day, no one could bring my mood down. And all I did was for the next couple of days was I was putting the, the, these little models yeah. in certain like positions and stuff, taking photos and annoying the arcade attack crew with it <laughs> to the point where as soon as the progman came around, there was a, a, a female zombie and a male zombie. So he put the male zombie feeling up the female zombie and took a picture, <laughs> as you do. Yeah. <laughs> but there's all sorts. The way you play it, I mean, game B especially. Yeah. The first scenario, you've got to get through the streets get the um, the valve handle and turn the water from the water tower to get rid of a fire. But the minute you do that, the, you've got like a tension deck, right. which you've got to pull a card at the end of each round. And it's either all clear or zombies suddenly appear or for the next round, the zombies do more damage or they can poison you or dogs suddenly appear, that kind of thing. There's evade rolls and action rolls and stuff. But as soon as you get rid of that fire, you've got to shuffle into the tension deck the tyrant cards Ooh. is the craziest bit if you pull the card out for the tyrant he's four squares away from you and you have to have this little marker and it's called the mark man right no matter what happens the tyrant will only go for the person who drew the card oh that's cool they will actively follow you and it's got five hit points right so if you decide, I'm just going to turn around and lay into him, you can. And if you get rid of him, that's all well and good. He will stay down for a minimum of two rounds. After two rounds, if you draw the Tyrant card, he's back. Right. So you could essentially have him following you twice. Luckily, when me and Ike played it, we didn't have him following us. But one of the mechanics is if the tension deck runs out, game over. Oof. And you've only got so many cards. When you play the game, you there are typewriters on the board and you get given an ink ribbon if you get to a typewriter and use an ink ribbon you reset the uh, tension deck so you've got to be constantly aware of that you've got to reshuffle it right and when i chose to reshuffle it because we were getting dangerously low if i didn't choose to reshuffle it when i was going to take my next draw from the tension deck i was gonna have the tyrant chasing me it was really close and the thing was i had like two bits of health left and no ammunition (laughs) So it would have killed me. 
each character's got unique skills. So Ike played as um, Kendo for the scenario B that we were playing. And he has a skill where if you're trying to attack something, you've got to roll some dice to see if you get an attack. If you don't get the attack, you can re-roll it. Right. The only caveat when you play as Kendo, so like Gunshop Kendo, when a zombie goes to attack you, so there's like a reaction phase if it's in the same square, you've got a roll to do an evade. Every character gets two dice to do an evade roll. Kendo only gets one. So there is like a, you know, it's up to you. You can you can possibly attack yeah. twice or eight tens for four actions, but you can only evade with one die. Right. And when you get the main game, you get Claire, Leon, Adet, and Kendo. Those are your four starting characters. Yeah. I played as Claire, and Claire's like the healer. So once per stage, it's like eight stages for one scenario, so it's the full game in eight stages. Right. Once per stage, you can, if someone's next to you, you can heal them for two points of damage. So I went into that game playing as the squishy. I was going to say, <laughs> struggling like hell. The first time I played it, I was playing like the equivalent of hard mode because I didn't understand the rules fully. So the zombies were reacting to me every single time when it should have been at the end of your, you get four actions. At the end of your four actions, then they react. Right. I was having them react every time I took an action, so I was playing it on hard mode to begin with. It does sound like really cool how they've managed to translate the stuff that you know from the video game into sort of board game mechanics. When you set up the board, you only get like so many different tiles. So the board itself, it can't represent each area of the game. Right. They're reversible. So one side you might have like a street outside, and the other side you might have like the lab at the end. Yeah, yeah. And you've got one massive square for like the the final boss with G. So when I first did it, I tried to match up exactly what it was, and then it it got to a point where it was taking too long. So I just put down whatever shape it was. And the scenario book, you can't figure out exactly which tile it is because in the scenario book, each area might have a different color attached to it. Right. Which is an encounter. When you first go into that area, you've got to roll an encounter die. And depending on, because it says in the scenario book which color, so red, amber, or yellow, what color, what you spawn. Right. So there's enemies on the board to begin with, so like little 3D models. And then you can inadvertently spawn more. And then the tension deck might spawn even more. So, for example, yesterday when Kaprogman and Ike was playing, in one corridor they had five zombies, two dogs, and a liquor. <laughs> And it started off with one zombie, and then two more were spawned, and then another two were spawned, then a licker showed up, and then just as we were getting to the end of the corridor, two dogs showed up. Right. And they managed to get out of that corridor, and I don't know how. <laughs> because we're awesome, that's how. <laughs> Plus, Ike's dodging game was really on point yesterday, I think. But I had to, especially for that game, I've had to get extra stuff like deck boxes and stuff to hold it all in and what have you. Fair. And the dice tower, when I got it, it, it looked really cool. It's like a castle. I had one day to get it, so I, th- I thought, get it next day delivery, you know, what have you. And I got it, and this was before Ike and Kaprogman showed up, so I had to construct it, and it turned up right. like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I had an hour to construct it. Okay. And it was one of those, you build it from a flat pack. So naturally, one of the bits I broke... Before I figured out how to do it, so I'm, I'm trying to do it all. There's bits all over the place because it's like a castle. You've got window bits and whatever, so I'm trying to poke it all out. So by the end of it, I had enough small kindling to make a bonfire for a smurf. <laughs> I smelt like Ikea, but I managed to build it. It only took me 55 minutes, which if anyone <laughs> tried to make anything out of a flat pack, even Ikea, that is a well record, I think. 
but there's different ways you can play it as well. There's um, You can play stage by stage, so you get set equipment at the beginning and you play through the stage. Yeah. Or you can play a full scenario mode, which means anything you get carries over. So in a full scenario mode, you get the electrical wire, which means you can close shutters. In the scenario mode, you can pick up the red key card, which means you can pick up either a side pack or a submachine gun Right. in the armory before you go into the sewers. And that also carries on for when you go into the labs, you can actually, whatever you don't pick up in the armory, you can pick up there. So you, in the game, you could pick up, in game B right. especially, once you register your fingerprint, you could pick up a second submachine gun. In the board game, whatever you don't pick up in the armory is there for the labs near the end. So if you pick up the submachine gun to begin with, you can pick up the extra pack at the end. So it incorporates that sort of A, B scenario thing from the game as well then. Yeah. If you play stage by stage, it doesn't let you do that. So things like weapon upgrades, the the items on the board and where they might be in the game. So on the items on the board, you've got A items and B items and they're random pickups. Your random pickups might be quest items. So it could be like red jewels or it could be keys. Keys are especially good for um, random pickups. But in the random pickups as well, um, you can get like custom handgun parts. You can get extra ammo for grenade launchers you can get custom magnum parts shotgun parts and the thing is you've got a limited time in the game depending on what scenario on because of the tension deck to explore but there's also when you go into an area you don't know what level area it is so it might be yellow might be orange might be red your danger level so the higher the danger level the more enemies spawn so there's that to sort of like think about as well so it's kind of you end up strategizing halfway through what we're going to do, well, if I go get the items because I've got more inventory space, if you want to go do that, nice. me and Ike did that a lot. We ended up strategizing a lot. But it's it's random pickups and the way you play it, you can even play it by yourself. It's it's a one-player game. That's how I did it originally. You've got to set it up so you kind of know what items there are. The the items, no matter like A items and B items, you, you shuffle it, the, the little deck you've got. So when you pick up, a, when you go to a square, movement's an action, searching's an action. So if you go to a square and then search for the item, there's two of your actions gone. Yeah. And you get four per round. And if you, like, say, for example, Claire can only use a pistol, a bow gun, and a grenade launcher. If you pick up the shotgun with with Claire, you can't drop it unless there's an item box. Not every level's got an item box. The character card tells you what weapons you've got. So if you're playing with other people and the person who's playing as Leon is close to you, you can wander up to them and go use an action and say, here's a shotgun. You have it. But every weapon you've got has got like a an ammo dial. So you don't have to keep tabs of how much ammo you got left. There's like an ammo dial. Each weapon's got different characteristics. So pistols class as a quick firing weapon. So you can use up to three shots per action, but it takes three down. But with those three shots, if you get like three confirmed hits, it just increases your chances. And you can still fail all of it because it's a dice roll. The attack dice, you've got one bullet hole and two bullet holes. The two bullet holes do damage. The one bullet hole, especially with the pistol and the knife, only pushes the zombies back. So you could expend a full clip of 15 and just constantly push the zombie back and not get a a kill hit. Or you could get close and you'd have to get a double hit with a knife to do one damage. But I don't quite know when it's out, like for public release the game. 25th of January, it should be available for everyone else, according to this link that I've just read. When I got the Kickstarter exclusives, which says on the box Kickstarter exclusives, I was really reluctant to use them. Then I looked further into the big box 
of tricks that I got. And I found out because I got a second copy of the game, they sent me a second load of the Kickstarter exclusives. I wasn't expecting it. I'm really pleased about it. One of the things you can do, there, there's a version, there, there's like different versions of the game you can do. There are rules for hard mode. There are rules for if you're playing by yourself to make it slightly easier because the game's really difficult anyway. Um, there are two ways of playing the game. You can play stage mode or scenario mode. And in each scenario mode, you can, I think this is, you've got to get the, it's an expansion for the main game, not, not B files, but it adds like Marvin, Brad, um, Ben Bertolucci, right. Sherry and a few others. So it's an expansion for the main game and you can play the main game two ways. You can play it stage by stage. So you can pick what stage you want, or you can play, you know, I mentioned main scenario mode where it carries over. Yeah. If you get this extra lot, what it does is each stage, it gives you an either or. In the first stage, you get to, I can't remember the first stage, but the first stage, there's a way you can unlock Brad Vickers as a playable character. I can't remember specifically how, but I remember in the second stage, the second stage is called uh, Get to Marvin. Right. And when you get to Marvin's office, he's a zombie. So you put your little 3D model of Marvin as a zombie. So if you kill him, you unlock Claire alternate costume. Right. Where she gets a grenade launcher as one of her starting equipment. So you have to switch to her for the next scenario, but you've got to give all your items to someone else or you lose him. But if you choose to use a fade spray on him, which would normally bring you back from unconsciousness, you turn him back into a human and you can play as Marvin. That's quite cool. Each scenario, like in the first scenario, if you use a fade spray on um, zombie Brad Vickers, you unlock him. If you decide to kill him, you unlock someone else's alternate costume. Right. Because obviously in the main game, if you don't pick anything up and you're on normal and you kill him, you get a closet key. So you unlock someone's alternate costume. And all the way through, you can unlock characters that way. Right. It says so in the scenario book. Um, one of the other things that you can do is if you get all the expansions, you can play it through the entire game. And at certain points, you can bring an expansion in. So when you're going through the sewers, after you finish the sewers level, you could bring in, right, we're fighting the alligator now. Cool. When you get so far into the labs, you can bring in, right, I'm going to fight the moth now, which is a, a stage by itself. Yeah, yeah. There are two stages in particular that I only found out later on um, when I looked through the scenario book. It's not like players working together. Right. You can play as William Birkin, you can play as Chief Irons, and it's actually a player versus player scenario. Oh, that's cool. And here's the kick out. I think you'll like this, uh, B, because I know you've played Resi 2. If you play as William Birkin, yeah, yeah. if he dies, it's not a case of when his health's gone, you're unconscious. No, he dies. If he dies, he turns into the first stage of G. Uh-huh. Right? And he chases the active player each turn. Right. If you manage to kill him, he goes to the second stage, and then the third, and then the fourth. But if you do it that way, whenever you start a new scenario, he's got to follow you. Right. That's quite cool. So if someone plays as William in the beginning and purposefully dies, you'll have Bacon chasing you through the entire scenario from start to finish. That's quite cool. quite like that. That's, like I say, it's got some really nice stuff that you know from the games where they've translated that to work in a board game and physical setting. Sounds really cool. And as does the expansions and stuff it does sound um, like i mean well not to imply they've never not put thought into it but it really sounds like a very um deliberate attempt at making it into like a eventful sort of tabletop game rather than one where you might be like waiting around for something to happen one of the things that they did was obviously steam forge game so these are the, i think these are the same people that did the um dark souls game 
Now, the Dark Souls board game, for anyone who hasn't seen it, the bottom of the board, as soon as you open it, the board's like folded. So it's not like placed down, it's folded. And as soon as you open the box, the first thing you see, it says you died. In Resident Evil 2, whenever you open the the, uh, the board game, you get the single warning statement, which is the front of the RPD building. And it says, this game contains scenes of explicit violence and gore. That's the first thing you see. It's a bit of paper that's like in the inside of it. As soon as you open it. That's a lovely nod to the game, that. Steamforge Games worked exclusively with Capcom to make this board game. I know because I, I saw the production notes, we read it. And one of the things is Ike was following the um, the community tab and he was looking at all the questions and stuff. Someone asked him, you're doing like a false survivor with an extreme battle mode. So we're going to get a, a Chris Redfield 3D model because on the Dreamcast, well, that was one of the characters, Chris Redfield. Yeah. And the only answer they gave was Capcom said we're not allowed to use Chris Redfield in this game. Right. Which made people think, is there going to be a Resi 1 board game? That's interesting. Yeah, and it just left it, and the hype after that just went through the roof. It, it, is it going to be Chris Redfield? Is it going to be Re- Resi 1? <laughs> the Resi 1 game would work really well. It'd be interesting. I mean, because the mansion in the first game is already designed a little bit, because he said, didn't he, that the, the original designer designed it a little like, on a board first before mm. programmed it into the game, I believe. Mm. Yeah, you could definitely see it working as a um, as a board game. I don't know if that would be the reason why you couldn't use Chris in 2, I, I guess. Also tied to how they're using him in 7, so maybe that's also mm. an issue. I think it was more of just a single-word answer just to get hype up a bit, I think. Yeah. I think a lot of people took it as, oh, there might be, there might I be. I think there's also a degree of, because obviously Capcom actively working on the Resi 2 game, and funny enough, yeah, so the game, that mean, means the game's going to come out at the same time as the board game, literally on the same day. Unless you're me, obviously. Well, no, unless you're back up. I mean, the official street date of the, of the game same as the video game so it'll be interesting i wonder if like maybe they've got some plans for chris changing like the maybe they're changing the video game so that maybe changes the canon of the story if you know what i mean so that might be a factor as well so that'd be interesting to see and to see how much they because you would presume capcom will now cross promote it when if they're both coming out at the same time there'd be a bit of promotion there definitely want to pollinate each other with with the sales, if they're good on either side, and I've heard good thing, nothing but good things so far from the board game. So yeah, and I've heard very good things from the previews of the game as well from the remake. So yeah, that'll be uh, that's a very nice like dovetailing into each other. It was really quite funny because when they said, right, we've got all the units, we're going to be shipping them out on like the twelfth. They said people in Britain are going to get it first because the dist- the distribution center was Manchester, I think, and then it was going to be Europe, and then America got it last. It was kind of annoying for me because I was on Reddit and then someone put, oh, this just arrived. And they, they, they took a picture of the Resident Evil game and I, my blood was boiling. I thought, when am I going to get mine? When am I going to get mine? <laughs> and then I got mine and it was like everything. Yeah. Right. The game twice. And then since then, I've seen people put up pictures on like Reddit saying, oh, this just arrived. And they've got the main game, the B files, like some extra dice. And the first thing that goes through my mind is, is that it? Is that all you got? Really? <laughs> I got everything. Where's yours? Playing keep it with the Joneses. Never. For- <laughs> well, I thought if I'm gonna get it, I'll get everything. Yeah, you know? fair. And now I'm paying for it because it is a really good game, but I've got nowhere to put it. Yeah. So I'd like to, I was saying to a friend today, I'd like to get into board games more, but obviously, you know, you guys will be the main people I play with, and aside from so aside from that, there's not really much in the way of like going to people I'd play with to play the board games. That's the problem. As much as I, I like doing them, I would like doing them. Uh, but it's being able to find a place to to go play them and you know actively do that. And there's, I know there's obviously more places like 
down south and stuff. Because board games are definitely something I would like to get into more, but the practical things make them a lot more harder to do than, obviously, than video games. Surprisingly enough, in the Technodrome, there is room for four people around the table. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's it's fine for us going around your house. Still, like I say, it's just a shame like I can't get into them too deeply because, like I say, yeah, it's just practically they're really hard to do. You've got you've got to be quite rich in the first place because they're quite expensive, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you know, what I, mean? I just want everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's finding the right one that you're interested in. in oh yeah, world. yeah, that as well. Yeah, yeah all sorts of board games and bored of tears with them. But yeah. well, I mean, do you remember Squidge when I ran out and bought the? Uh, oh God, what was it? Oh, Rick and Morty. Anatomy one of the Park. Rick and Morty games. It was a yeah, the Anatomy Park one, and. I guess it's just not my choice for a game. I d- and I didn't realize that when I picked it up at the shop. And I, I, we tried it, and it took us about an hour and a half to read through the instructions and figure out what was going on. Exactly. The game was over in, like, two minutes. A lot of board games do have a massive like time investment of preparing first as well. And, again, that's not just a problem with us in terms of geography, but that can also be a problem with you know, us as adults having other things to do in these days and stuff and mm-hmm. you know, trying to get that all sorted. It can be quite tricky. I don't want an adult no more. <laughs> <laughs> so just throwing my own two cents in, I wonder whether Capcom saying don't include Chris in the Resident Evil 2 board game is literally them just sort of saying, rather than hinting at something or teasing at something and people reading too much into it, I wonder if it's whether it is literally just a case of, well, because he's not included in the story, you know? Yeah, possibly. It's like a similar thing to, obviously, Chris being the first one, this being a set. That's like someone saying, well, someone asked, is Dr. Salvador in this in the Chainsaw Guy? Well, no. Oh, is there a Resi 4 board game coming out? No, it's a completely different game. You know, it'd be nice to. But you know, that being said, from what I've seen of the previews from Resi 2, I like how they're slightly changing the story. Like For um, for the Resi 2 remake, they're changing Leon's backstory. So apparently how... Why don't we spoiler alert it? So uh, they've changed his backstory slightly. Then. From what I understand was that through other media and stuff, and not actually like explicitly said in the game itself, uh, Leon's original backstory is that he left his girlfriend or something the same day that he as his first date and then drinks too much and that's why he's late for his first day on the job. Whereas now they're changing it to that uh, he was just sat at home waiting for his first assignment to be posted to him as to where he would go for his first day of work and he didn't hear anything from the police station or whatever. So he travels into Raccoon City to find out, oh, where's my first assignment, as it were. So... It's not anymore a result of, like I say, it wasn't late because he was drinking the night before because he broke up with his girlfriend. It's simple, and apparently it's not something that ever really becomes thingy in the rest of Resident Evil. I don't know if the new version does it all relevant, but yeah, it was just like a weird, nice little change that they apparently have done to his character, and it'll be interesting on that, like not just that topic, but if that's what they've done there, I wonder if there's going to be any more little changes to the established Resident Evil lore that we know of until now for the Resident 2 remake with little changes and stuff so we've had a brief description from the b about the resident evil 2 remake hopefully by the time that this episode is edited and gone out you'll already have it squidge because i know you like to listen to the episodes as soon as they're ready but it'll be interesting to see if they change much more of the established canon with the remake oh also because I, I was looking into like um resident evil timelines and stuff i found out that um resident evil gaiden's actually canon what yeah, Resident Evil Gaiden's canon because the, the whole point of Resident Evil Gaiden is the virus that is on there comes from a shape-shifting tyrant. 
the virus Leon contracts it. That's why at the end of the game, he's got that spoiler. At the end of the game, he's got a cut on his neck and you can tell if someone's infected because the blood's green. He ends up being rescued the same as Barry and I want to say Luca, the girl in the game who can detect where the tyrant presence is. What happens is he gets taken to a facility to recover from it and it's the daylight serum from Resident Evil Outbreak File 1. That serum is given to Leon so he can recover from it. So Resident Evil Gaiden is actually canon. There's a lot of like contradicting things there because there's even stuff within the materials that's contradicted itself as well. So it's hard to like specifically say, oh, this is now canon and this isn't. Still actually class as canon though. That's that's the weirdest bit. Even Resident Evil 1, like the very first Resident Evil, there is no possible ending in Resident Evil 1, is there, that would actually be considered canon because canon established afterwards would involve everyone being rescued that it wasn't possible to rescue in Resident Evil 1. Yeah, you either lose Barry or you lose Rebecca. The canon ending is that they both survived. So, like, literally, yeah, even even canon mm. is impossible since the first game, as it were. Canon is impossible to achieve within gameplay. But it, it makes more sense once you realise he did contract it, but he was cured from it, instead of the game ending on an ambiguous note saying, did you kill the tyrant or did you kill Leon? Or is Leon dead? You know, did the tyrant survive? You know, it's, it's more of a, because I was looking into it today, Leon did contract the virus, but it wasn't too far gone, so he was able to recover from it, from a, an antidote that was made from the Resident Evil Outbreak File 1 because it ends in the university level where they're studying the virus and there's a, a medical student there who synthesizes an antidote for it, but he synthesizes it from a prototype tyrant. So they've, they've got very little supplies of it and because at this point Leon is working for the government and he's highly skilled, they decided to give him that so that he could continue working for the government because he's highly skilled, he's a very valued asset. They just stay home and play synthesizers. Sorry, Flight of the Concords reference. <laughs> but I, I only found that out the other day. I think that should be something, some knowledge that you drop on uh, yeah, Gaiden Attack, I think, Scridge. How, how did I describe Gaiden before? I said, um, I was talking to Lulu on it, and I said it's like, if you imagine a very early top-down Resident Evil where he plays Barry Motherfucker. And whenever you get into a battle, it's a very rudimentary, very early rock band. So you fight the zombies <laughs> a on a bit. ship to the rock band system without guitars. Something to that degree. And she lost her mind when I said that, I think, if I remember correctly. Intro music is Behind the Lines by Ian Sutherland. Outro music is I Need You Watashi no Sabate by GK. Spoiler break music is Spectrum Subdiffusion Mix by Phonics. See the show notes for more details. The Waffling Tailors podcast is a proud member of the J&J Media Network. To find out more about J&J Media, head over to jayandjay.media or check the show notes for a link.